one of the um, most talked about wrestling shows over the last few years is, is Dark Side of the Ring, and it's especially poignant now with the the Chris Benoit documentary that part one has gone up on YouTube, and the series is now uh, and season has now started. So Evan Husney and uh, Jason Eisner are here. Uh, we've been working together quite a bit since I'm narrating season two. Mm-hmm. Um, but are you guys pleased so far uh, with the response you've gotten from from the part one of the of the Chris Benoit Eddie Guerrero saga that's been up on YouTube? Yeah, I mean it's been uh, it's been the the response has been really positive. Uh, I think it's affected a lot of people, and just it's a story that really hasn't surfaced a lot over the the past thirteen years or whatever it's been now. And uh, so it's just I think it's a uh, it's a very emotional time for people to be revisiting, but for, for the most part, it seems positive. Yeah, and I think like some people may have been a little bit like skeptical about how we were going to tell this story, but I think the response we're getting right now is that you know it, it seems a little unexpected, and, and uh, people are really taking to it in, in an emotional way. That's pretty amazing. Well, it's one of those stories that even though it's been you know 13 years ago, when, it, when we go back and revisit it, it's... It's it's the biggest story, maybe ever in wrestling history. I think kind of in tandem with the Owen Hart story mm-hmm. tragedy, and I think uh, um, I know you guys will talk about that later as well. But I, I think the the reason why this one works so well, if you can use that term, is because um, of the uh, participants. I mean, this has never been done before. When you have you know not just myself and and and, and Dean Malenko. Uh, and Chavo Guerrero, probably the three best friends of Chris and Eddie, mm-hmm. but also Chris's son David and, and Nancy's sister Sandra and Eddie's wife Vicky. I mean, there's so many proponents in this. How were you able to kind of wrangle all of these top name close friends uh, of the of these guys? Well, none of this would have been possible at all without uh, Chavo Guerrero, right? Um, Chavo was the first person that I reached out to um, about this project uh, almost two years ago. We uh, were actually thinking about covering this story for season one, which in hindsight was just we weren't ready for and it, was an, it would have been an impossibility at that time for us. But uh, Chavo was the first person that I talked to and kind of explained to him the way that I wanted to approach it. And uh, we were able to show him uh, an episode of our our, uh, Bruiser Brody story that we were working on. And he really liked that. And then one thing led to the other. And then, you know, Chavo and I started talking about it. And then he eventually introduced us to he introduced us to you and he introduced us to Vicky and and uh, and David and Sandra. And and we were able to kind of all together kind of take this journey on telling the story together. Did you know Chavo from before? I was, I only met him during when we were doing season one, when we were kicking around the idea of tackling the story. He was one of the first people I I uh, reached out to, um, and we just kind of hit it off right away. Yeah, and I think like he was the first one of the first people we showed the Bruiser Brody episode to. Yeah, um, we actually we showed it to him in our in the Vice office in L.A. and um, he was quite taken back about it. He just came off of doing, I think it was like season one of glow. And, um, I think he, like he always, he always wanted to be a producer in, in the TV world as well too. And so when he saw what we did with the bruiser Brody story, I think he, he ultimately saw that like we approached the, the subject from a perspective that he hadn't quite seen before, especially within the wrestling world. And he's very sensitive 
to how people portray the wrestling world as well. Mm-hmm. And so he thought that um, we did a good job of it, and he, and he trusted us. Yeah. Well, and once again, that's how I got involved because, you know, I stayed away from these types of things. Not that I was asked to do a lot of them, but most of the time when you get calls to do these types of things, it's sensationalistic or it's just not classy. You know, you you have to do it in a dirty sort of way. Mm -hmm. But when Chavo called me, and this is something that that I want to ask you guys, and, and he said, you know, there's other places, other companies doing stories on this or there will be. We have the chance to do it right. It's going to get mm-hmm. done either way. So let's do it properly with the people that really knew and loved these guys. And yeah. that's the, the suit as Chavo said that I said, dude, I trust you. Uh, whatever you, whatever you want to do, I'm there. So it was a real huge deal to get him uh, as the conduit. Cause then when he got me, I was able to bring in Malenko and that sort of thing. Yeah. You guys did do this in a classy way though. Cause it's a heavy story. Yeah. Some people have said it's hard to watch. It's hard mm-hmm. for me to watch, but it's very, very well done. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Wow, I appreciate that so much. Yeah, I mean, so is that kind of the theme of Dark Side? I mean, obviously you're dealing with stories that are controversial, but do you try and put kind of a, I use the word classy, that, not, that might not be the right term, but putting kind of a more legitimate, less tabloid feel to it? Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, even though the show is Dark Side of the Ring and, you know, we are exploring controversial subject matters. Um, I think the thing Jason and I always try and do is we try and really show the human side of the ring. That's kind of the, uh, the thing we've tried to do with the show is really just show like the people and the families behind wrestling because it's such a high risk, uh, you know, form of entertainment for the people involved. And, and a lot of people have given up and sacrificed a lot for it. Um, and, uh, and so for us, it's like, we really just wanted to be able to show the human side uh, of this industry. Um, and that's what we wanted to lead with. And, and anytime we do our interviews or tackle any of the stories and growing up as fans, I mean, Jason and I have been fans of wrestling our whole lives. And so we obviously, you know, at the same time want to have our love and appreciation for it come through, you know, the show, which I hopefully it does. Mm-hmm. And cause that's a big part of it. But we also really wanted to see like, you know, proper cinematic, like, like we wanted to see a proper cinematic treatment to the world of wrestling. And that was kind of what our dream was with this show. When you filmed these interviews, um, and once again, you've got 10 episodes of this show, and we'll talk about, about more of them, but, but because the Benoit one is kind of this, is the season premiere. Sure. Did you learn stuff that you'd never heard before? Were there times when you were filming that you, that you guys felt moved to, to tears as filmmakers, what really affected you when, when you were putting together this piece? Well, I mean, yeah, definitely throughout the process of producing this season, there's been a number of really emotional moments that, you know, because we develop relationships with a lot of the people involved, especially family members too, it's, you know, them being so open and brave and telling us their stories. And then, you know, it definitely has an effect on you, especially us just, again, growing up as fans and having that emotional connection to all of it. You know, I think one of the more standout moments is uh, at the end of the Benoit two-hour episode, you know, when the stuff involving David and Sandra, um, you know, for us was just very emotional to be around because those two really hadn't connected in the same space. Like, they hadn't really been in the same room in about over 13 years. So to be, to be, you know, a fly on the wall for that was, yeah. was really, really, really emotional. Yeah. And same with like spending time with like Vicky and she telling us her story, 
there there were definitely times like like you know we're we're doing an interview but we're trying to be there emotionally for our subjects as we're going through the process of like telling this these stories and so like with Vicky it, it was really emotional i remember myself even just like tearing up with her cuz it's just it it is a really painful thing to like talk about and um and but you're also we're we're on the other side of a lens just witnessing like this incredible bravery from everyone involved with the episode and you you know spending time with David and getting to know David and then seeing him like kind of talk about this I think like for the first time in this kind of way yeah. and um that was really powerful and I I have I'm very proud of him and and uh, really appreciate him like wearing his heart on his sleeve so much and in front of the camera and being supportive of us like helping us or helping him like tell his story yeah and i didn't realize because I, I think i had put i shouldn't say i put i, I remember I, I had spoken to sandra probably three years ago maybe for talk yeah. to jericho and it was the first time she'd ever talked about what yeah. had happened because i wanted to put more of a spin on the career of Nancy, who I think because she was the victim in this, people just think of her as the victim and forget right. that she had this amazing career of her own. Oh my God. In, in what she, in, in which she was very good at what she did. So we spoke about that. And then I, I gave Sandra David's number, but, but whatever it was, but the point being when you had them filming together, that was the first time they'd been in the same room uh, or that was the first trip they had taken together was in Chicago. Yeah. That time. Really? Wow. Yeah. 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 They yeah. had that first, uh, they connected at the airport together before we connected with them. And uh, we, we didn't want to be there for that. We just, we wanted yeah. them to have, sure, of course, you know, time with, the, with each other. Um, but we met up with them for dinner later that night. And uh, yep. it was, it was pretty powerful to see them, the two of them together. And they were just, I don't know. They were just having such a great time. You could just see like the love rekindling back there. It was, it was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And, and actually Chris, your, your podcast with Sandra was definitely a huge uh, influence on us yeah. in terms of the way to approach the story from the beginning. That was like a huge uh, piece of us, you know, wanting to tell the story because seeing there was, wow, there was a whole other side to this um, that really hasn't gotten out there before. And so that was definitely uh, something for us that that guided us. Yeah, and a big inspiration, you know, to get Sandra and to have Sandra tell Nancy's story. Yeah, um, it was integral to this. You know, totally, it's incredible. Absolutely, it is, and that's that's the thing because, like I said, people, it's one of those one of those things you think you know the story, but when you really delved into it with 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 all of these principles, one thing that. Obviously, I knew and we spoke about, but almost you can almost forget. It's been 13 years, and all of our lives have moved on, and you know, kids and 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 jobs and all this stuff. I had forgotten, and I think more importantly, there's a huge revelation for people to realize just how close Eddie and Chris were, and just how devastated Chris was when Eddie passed away. Which, like I said in the in the documentary, was in my opinion the straw that broke his back in a lot of ways. Right. That's a story that I don't think a lot of people knew. I know, yeah. And, and you know, obviously there's – it's just – I don't think there's one thing or one, you know, uh, one root cause that, that, that you can identify that, you know, caused that final weekend. But it's definitely a factor. And I think now, 13 years later, you know, I don't think there was really any understanding of, you know, the emotional side of, of mental health. And I think, 
you know, that's something that there's more conversations about now. And I think that is such a huge factor into this story that you can't deny. It's like, you know, like uh, um, a lot of people talk about the grief that both Chris and Nancy went through just with so many colleagues. And I'm sure a lot of people you knew as well and worked with that had, that had passed on way, way before their time. And that's a hard thing to deal with as well, you know. And so we really wanted to show the effects of that. And what's, it's funny because I, I was just, I just out of curiosity, clicked on it. I watched this last night at probably about... I'd say it was, it was pretty late, probably two in the morning or so, and I think I had like fifteen thousand views, and here we are, ten hours later, and it's at one hundred and fifty thousand views. So this is something that people are very interested in, and like I said, I mean, it's one of those things that almost brought down the wrestling business and definitely changed it in a lot of ways. So I think it's something that a lot of people are gonna are gonna be watching for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's good, you know, in 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 ways to have conversations around this story because for so long you know people in the wrestling industry it was it was too taboo to talk about and i think it's it's good to have conversation around the events that happened to this so you know we can attempt to have closure and move on a little bit yeah well let's talk about dark side of the ring as a show in 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 whole second season once again congratulations on that how, Thank you. How did the first season start, and what was your mindset in putting together this uh, this this series of kind of you know stories, tragic stories, interesting stories, um, stories that really have never been told? Yeah, well, like Evan and I, we both we come from the I guess the the narrative feature film world, um, and we we met each other at a at the Sundance Film Festival, I think, ten years ago. Um, I, I had a film playing there, and. And Evan was representing some films, and when we met each other, we instantly connected over wrestling. And so, so then, like over the years, we just we were sending each other like these stories that we would find. I think like one shoot of the interviews, yeah, and shoot interviews. We were just like absorbing as many shoot interviews as we could because we just realized this: a lot of the wrestlers and people who are involved in the wrestling industry, a lot of them are incredible storytellers. Like I can sit there and I can watch some shoot interviews, and I'm like, I can <laughs> visualize what's going on because they're there's they can be so charismatic in how they tell their stories. So we thought, what's if we just get like a good lens in front of some of these subjects <laughs> with some great music and like let's give it a treatment like like some of our favorite documentaries. And like a big inspiration was um Errol Morris's Thin Blue Line, um, which is an incredible documentary and and it has like these like reenactments in it that uh, that that really kind of put you in the memory of like the, the like it, it paints a picture of the memory of like the stories that the subjects are telling. And so we wanted to kind of bring that aspect to our show, but kind of in a new, in a new way, in a fresh way. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of like how it's like. Yeah, I think like, it was, I think it was the, I actually was thinking about this earlier. It was the Dutch Mantel shoot interview about the, about the Bruiser Brody murder. Oh yeah. That really was like, Whoa, because his interview was so dramatic and it was so cinematic. And it really took you back to that locker room on that day. Like he painted such a evocative picture of it. And then it was like that was the story that really captivated us first was the story of Bruiser Brody and his murder. And that's what we pitched originally to Vice. I was actually working there at the time. They had just launched a TV channel. And uh, we really we really wanted to tell that story. And we thought it might just be a standalone hour or two of television. Mm-hmm. But then they asked us, like, you know, w- like, could you do more of these? Are there more stories in this world? And then it's like, well, there definitely are. And so we put that together. And then we were kind of off to the races. And then we piloted 
the the show with the Bruiser Brody story in 2017, and then we got the official green light and we did all the rest of season one in 2018. And here we are now having done 16 of these. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, tell us about the Brody story because that's one that, uh, once again, and this is, I'm not a wrestling historian, but I really appreciate and, uh, enjoy those historical pieces from, from the seventies and eighties into an extent, the '90s, whatever, where you, there wasn't a lot of internet, there wasn't a lot of. I mean, the Bruiser Brody story is one that I've kind of been on the outskirts for years, and even did a, a fairly in-depth podcast with Dave Meltzer about Bruiser. But mm. yours, once again, you're getting these guys that were actually there. Is it hard to get a Dutch Mantel or a Tony Atlas that were, you know, in the trenches, so to speak, and really haven't spoken about this for years? I'm sure a lot of it is, is platform-based, but also probably a little bit of fear over over the backlash of what they might receive from talking about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Dutch Mantel was the very first person that we ever reached out to uh, for this series, and uh, we got to know him pretty well. And uh, you know, he he his story, you know, was incredible. And uh, then I reached out to Tony Atlas. And Tony, like the experience we had filming with Tony was was really heavy yeah. because, um, you know, he he was really transported back to that night. And like, you know, he was brought back there because, you know, we had prepared in the interview with with a lot of the details and the timeline. And I think he remembered a lot more than he thought that he probably had forgotten for many years. And he was brought back there and definitely um you know, you could, that was palpable in the interview and that was pretty intense. And that was the first interview we ever did for the whole show. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was an intense experience. And then going from that to Abdul the Butcher, right. you know, um, which was an experience in and of itself to be with a wrestler <laughs> from that era, you know, like yeah. a totally different time capsule, you know, almost in a lot of ways. Yeah. And um, someone like that, when we met Abdullah, we knew, I think that kind of like prepared us for what we would get into a little bit for the rest of the series, especially sure. with wrestlers from his like generation is like, we walked away from that interview just feeling like we just totally got worked in a lot of ways too. <laughs> and we didn't know like, right, 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 was, like right. the truth, what, like what was real and what was fiction, you know? And he was like, in, in some ways, in a lot of ways he was still, you know, living the gimmick oh, yeah. to us. And, um, so we knew that like, that's going to be something through the course of creating this TV show that we're going to have to navigate. And we thought, you know what, let's just lean into it. Let's let the audience experience what we're experiencing. Mm. Right. Right. And that, that definitely comes up in, in the rest of the show for sure. And that's smart because like I said, like even to this day, when I do a podcast or I meet some of those guys, just the fact I've been in the business for 30 years and we've discussed some of the guys like the, you know, the Eddie Mansfields and this type of thing, like <laughs> the, 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 the word carny, which is, you know, kind of the term for the, the 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 secret speak that wrestlers use, which now all rap rappers use. Um, but right. there's a lot of you know storytellers, like you said. When did you start realizing that that maybe you're being worked a bit by guys that are being fairly uh, outrageous with their stories? Where you know, where you're saying to yourself, this kind of sounds like bullshit. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it's tough to go back and look at, you know, but there's, I mean, like, I think the Abdullah, the butcher, as much as that, that interview was amazing. Um, and just on a, on a pure, like, you know, you know, character level, it was, it was a, it was a 10 out of 10. 
Um, but like definitely there, there are moments where, you know, you're, you're feeling like, well, that doesn't quite add up, you know, or whatever, that's contradictory. And that happens a lot too, but there's also a a side of it too, where it's like, you are depending on the memories of just people, you know, 30 plus years later. I mean, you know, which we talked about for the Jimmy Snook episode of the season two, especially it's like, you're talking about people's memories from so far, uh, back that that's one of the other reasons why we always want to lean into, you know, this kind of subjectivity when it comes to what the truth is, especially yeah. in wrestling. And and also, too, it's like one of the reasons why we want to do this show now is that we realize, like, this is kind of like the last opportunity for us to get some of, like, the people who are close to these stories that are still with us to, like, yeah. to tell us their version right. of the story, you know? And so that, to us, it's kind of like we feel like we're – we're taking this period in our life to be almost like historical archivists <laughs> to like collect these stories. And like, hopefully like we're just, we're hoping we can just get a hard drive at the end of this that just has, cause like we did this season, like 87 interviews for the whole season and yeah. each interview averages like three to four hours. And so that's like just an incredible history. <laughs> yeah. Of, um, of, of, of this, like this period of, of wrestling. So, um yeah <laughs> when you guys were talking about season one did you sit down with a, a you know a piece of paper and, and write down here's the ideas for the episodes did you have like like where are you getting ideas from to kind of focus on these you know these different subjects and topics yeah i mean it was uh we we basically really wanted like the aspect like since the since the bruce brody story was the first one the the major theme in that episode is this idea of like the real world getting entangled with the wrestling world, like 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 the the fish, the fictional aspects of the wrestling world. So we really wanted to try and explore that as much as possible. So what stories fit into that theme? Um, and so that's uh, so we looked at you know the the Macho Man Miss Elizabeth story, like their relationship, you know, was was. Uh, entangled in what was in front of the camera and behind the camera you know so we wanted to kind of examine that uh the the montreal screw job is is taking a, a a angle but then you know something very real happens in the middle of that angle you know and and changes it and becomes kind of this avant-garde theater you know <laughs> and then there's uh there's the gino hernandez story as well where that you know his wrestling persona he's he, you know like the idea of living your gimmick you know, and then there's the Von Erich story, which is a deeply tragic story, but really, you know, sort of showcasing the consequences of like a celebrity family in the spotlight and, and how and how they're portrayed in, in wrestling as the, these kind of, you know, infallible icons. And then, of course, when tragedy strikes, how, how is how does that narrative turn in in their wrestling trajectory? And then there's the fabulous Mula story as well, which is um, another intersection of that. So we just kind of looked at these different ways that that theme kind of um, exists across wrestling, and that's what we kind of guided us in the first season. But we were supposed to do ten episodes for season one originally, and then the, and then the network unfortunately uh, shrinked us down to six. But that was actually a blessing because we were so you know over our heads. I feel like at that point. <laughs> um, but then for season two, we we sort of approached it with, all right, if this is the last one we do, let's do the biggest stories you know, in this world, you know? Yeah. And I feel too, like a, a moment in season one that was kind of like a light bulb for us, I feel was when we were doing uh, Barbara Goodish's e uh, interview. Uh, she was uh, the widow of Bruiser Brody. 
And she said this one specific thing that I, we just thought like, wow, like that is kind of like the theme to like our whole show. And I feel like anytime we're taking on a subject, this needs to be like embedded in it. But she told this story about how she never met Bruiser Brody. She only knew Frank Goodish, the man, but she never saw Bruiser Brody, the like his character. And, but she would, when she drop him off at the airport, he would like kiss her goodbye, and then he would take out his hair and he let it flow in the air, and he'd step into the out of the car and walk into the airport, and she would see him literally transform into the character when he walked out into public. And that was just like, oh my god! Like I have never heard of any other art form or sport that calls for like the, the performers to like have to do this. Like, <laughs> yeah. like where else could you like find this kind of level of like performance where it leaks into your like everyday public life. And so that was just so, there was just something so romantic and interesting about that idea. And for me, I, I, I got so obsessed with just like wanting to talk with the family members of these wrestlers because their perspective I find is just so interesting. Totally. To see how they navigated this world yeah. at that time is it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. What were some of your favorite episodes from uh, from the first season? I mean, the not to you know keep going back to the Brody episode, but that one holds a special place for us because it was it was the first and and the one we spent definitely the most time on for yeah. season one. Um, but um, I think going spending time with Kevin Von Erich and his family in Hawaii for a few days that was definitely like a very powerful experience to see someone like himself to go through like so much tragedy in his life and to like find a way to come out through the other side and find peace and to see how his like how much his family like loves him and like kind of like protects him and how they all kind of like interact with each other it was that was pretty amazing well also that the fact that like you know through all that tragedy kevin kind of like like rebuilt and like made his own world, you know, mm-hmm. within his compound in Hawaii and to kind of see that, you know, in him and, and just be at one with nature, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it, it was a, it was a pretty uh, sobering yeah. like experience. He's like me. literally like living off the land. They have like yeah. goats and their own plants and they trade things with their neighbors. Yeah. And like, it's a, it's a very beautiful life they have. Um, I will say, um, also for me personally, I think the one uh, the episode in season one I was so invested in was the, was the Gino Hernandez episode because it was like the one episode that we embarked on that we didn't really know anything about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we basically had just heard this rumor. I think it was, I think it was, it was, it was Bruce Pritchard's podcast that originally tipped us off to this idea that there was a, there was this rumor about how, like the way that he died. And so, but it, it just sounded like such a interesting story you know of this guy who um you know really lived this kind of rick flair style gimmick you know in real life and it got the best of him or maybe somebody murdered him and uh so that was really interesting to me but it was the most eye-opening experience when we got to you know i mean that just exists in wrestling rumor and innuendo land right but then when once we actually got in touch with his mother that we was shocked to find was still alive and she told us on the phone I have looked my son's killer in the eyes and I know who he is and I know his name. And we were like, what? what? And, and then, and, and then we were like, we will be right over there. And right. so, 
So uh, I just hopped on a plane and just sat down with her for like a day and, and, and heard her story. And it was just unbelievable that, that she had been living in fear for over 30 years, looking over her shoulder, afraid to leave her children alone or do anything because of the, the, the concept that there could be retaliation over her son's death. And so for us, that was something then, okay, now we have a completely different responsibility with this story. And, um, you know, and we went pretty deep. I mean, we, yeah. I had s- secret meetings yeah, with people did. at barbecue restaurants in Texas. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not filmed, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, to try and find out what happened and, I, and, and talk about possibly getting worked. I mean, you know, you kind of draw your own conclusion at the end of that episode. There are a lot of people who watch that episode are like, Oh, you know, I'm I'm glad she got closure, but then there's other people who think, no, he was definitely murdered by those people, and and so it's it's tough to know, you know. I mean, I tried to find out, yeah. get to the bottom of it, but you know, you can only go so far. I think the Gino Hernandez one, once again, like like I said, like the first season, I, I watched every episode, saw them all, and obviously, uh, you know, there's ones that you have to do because of due diligence, like the you know the Montreal screw job. It's like okay, <laughs> I've seen that a thousand times, and yeah, yeah a couple, yeah. you know, a couple more like that, but the Gino. I had never heard anything about him other than what I read in the in the wrestling magazines because right. you know growing up in in Canada there was no world class wrestling and didn't really know anything about him definitely didn't know that he was you know Paul Bosch's son or that he was doing this Ric Flair gimmick or all this other things and how good he was so that one was really eye opening for me as well that's cool yeah we also wanted to really try to like showcase like how great of a performer yes gino was you know like he's now become like one of my favorites like i've seen everything you could possibly find (laughs) that gino's done and uh the level of charisma that guy had is just it's really a shame he's no longer here Mm -hmm. because i think he just would have flourished so much so much but now i'm seeing we're, we're, we're hearing from wrestlers who've watched that episode and they're taking a lot of inspiration from Gino now. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I had heard that MJF was a fan of Gino watching some of Gino's heel promos on, in our episode. And that's awesome, you know, to see, cause I mean, he was so good. Right. Um, you know, and that's, and that, and that's amazing. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that episode definitely felt like, Every day we were in the office, there was some new piece of the rabbit hole that had surfaced, and it was very exciting. Yeah. It was a very exciting time working on that. Yeah, even to the point where one night we were filming it in Austin, Texas, and we were doing a big interview, and huh. we caught someone like breaking into our like rental vehicle in the <laughs> yeah. middle of the night. <laughs> really? But we thought, we thought for a minute, like, maybe this is like someone's <laughs> yeah. after us, and it was, <laughs> holy it's a paranoid shit. time. It was it's scary. <laughs> let's talk about season two so obviously like you said when you're doing season one and and you're picking some of the biggest stories from from the screw job and then you're doing a little bit more obscure ones like the gino and then ones that are more well known like bruiser brody and and the von eric story where are you going to now for for the season two you know ideas well you know we yeah pretty much at the when we finished season one and we kind of got word that there may be a season two we put it out there on all our social media things you know and asking the audience like what stories would they would like to see yeah and we just got thousands and thousands of responses <laughs> yeah. yeah and i and i and i and i spent like uh a week actually tallying all of them which he i can't did. which i can't believe i did i saw like a spreadsheet and everything <laughs> yeah. like, it was crazy it was <laughs> mental but um it had to be done and lit- season two is pretty close to that list 
you know, with with a few exceptions of some of the episodes that we personally wanted to do, and also maybe some episodes we couldn't get access to that we already knew. But I mean, you know, Chris Benoit was at the top of the list, and then you know Owen Hart was a was a very close second in terms of the stories that people wanted. So that th- those two, you know, we really wanted to make sure happened and would only do uh, if if we had that level of access to the inner circle on both stories. And then it was kind of like, you know, kind of eye-opening us to see, wow, a lot of people want to see New Jack, <laughs> you know? Mm. Uh, a lot of people want to see, um, you know, uh, the the uh, Jimmy Snuka story was one that was really high on that list. Um, trying to think what else was also really high. On that. Oh, uh, Dino, Bravo. Dino Bravo. Dino Bravo was huge on that list. Really? Um, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. always kind of surprises me how, how people are so excited to see that story. So that one... And yeah, and so we kind of used that to guide us in a lot of ways, and um, that was kind of the. And then, and then it was amazing because going into like something like New Jack, for example, like when I was a fan of wrestling back in the '90s, like of, of course I remember him from ECW as you know this this extreme wild wrestler that you'd <laughs> you'd see, but you know I don't, I didn't really know about like his in like his in ring incidents if you mm-hmm. want to call them that mm-hmm. or. Where he came from, what is, you know, Smoky Mountain, forget about it. I didn't know anything about that when I was growing up. So for us, it was really an experience of education, too, of learning about all this and being like, whoa, and our minds being blown, you know. And then, of course, interviewing him, one of the top five, I would say, in terms of wild interviews we've done, for sure. And why is that? Just because, <laughs> I think in one, in one part, like, you know, it. Our schedule on the show is so crazy that it's really hard to just find time to even just get to know our subjects before we, you know, ask them to like talk about these intimate things, you know? Yeah. And so with New Jack, like when we, um, when he showed up on the scene, there was like no room for small talk. Like he just wasn't having any small talk. So there was just like, so there wasn't any way to really like connect with him necessarily. I had no idea how that interview was going to go. Um, and actually when I called him the first time, cold call, just he picks up the phone, you know, like, and I'm like, Mr. New Jack, you know, (laughs) Mr. Jack, (laughs) Mr. Jack, you know, and, and calling him. And I was like, yeah, we're, so we have this TV show and we want to do an episode about you. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, so, okay. So you're, you're, you're cool with that. Yeah. Okay, so then we'll just come to Greensboro and do an interview with you? Yeah. And that was it. Wow. So it was like three yas got us this interview. And so only thing we knew about him were three yas before we showed up. Yeah. And it was like, so just, and then to see just like as soon as the camera turned on, you know, New Jack, the character, turned on, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it was really uh, entertaining, but also <laughs> disturbing too in some ways. Well, yeah, like, like, like I, I met New Jack in, in Smoky Mountain. I, I'm sure he was in ECW when I was there, but I don't really recall. But, I mean, the thing with him, and he's always been that way, super charismatic, super fun to be around, but then you see just this streak of, of darkness. And watching yeah. that show, I couldn't believe how, A, the things that he did in the ring – I mean, wait till you guys see this episode. I mean, he's stabbing guys in the ring, and he's basically trying to murder people, and that's not even going too far. He throws that one cat off the scaffold and was hoping he would miss the ring and hit the ground. I mean, that's just insane, Uh, and doesn't give two shits about it. Yeah. You know, it was very, very tough to watch, angry to watch. Uh, You know what I mean? I remember what you said afterwards, yeah. Yeah, like I was watching this going, what a... 
fucking asshole. Yeah. How did he get away with all this stuff? But yet guys like that, they have that charisma that enables them to kind of get lucky, you know? And, and well, some of the, yeah, I was going to say some of the instances I think for him wound up being pretty lucky. Um, but also it is one of the areas that going back to the themes of season one is it, it, it fits right into that, you know, where is the line between uh, wrestling, you know, where, where it takes two to tango in that situation uh, to wrestle to work and then and then to cross that line into assault like where where do you draw that you know in terms of what you guys agree upon to do and today's world you see people doing crazy shit all the time too but you know um but but with him there's kind of a, a, a separate intent i feel like <laughs> were some of the you mentioned how easy it was to get uh, new jack as an interview and i know even from 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 talk is jericho i mean I remember Stuart Copeland from the police. I got him with one email. And it's like, this is That's one of the most, amazing. Yeah. One of the most, I never met him, never knew him. One publicist email and suddenly I'm in his private studio talking wow. to the, you know, one of the greatest drummers, rock and roll hall of famers ever. And then there's other guys who are lower level guys that, oh my gosh, it's like trying to get an audience with the Pope. Were, were there some interviews that were super hard to get that you finally paid off when you got them? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think uh, okay. Well, I think the episode that that had the most difficulty in terms of like I, I've it, it was so difficult in terms of getting people on board for it, and I get why. And that is with the Doctor D David Schultz episode. Yeah. For me, this season was like uh, it, it was like a whole separate full time job, and I'm not trying to bring out a tiny violin on that at all. But I'm just saying, like you know, obviously the episode that we're covering is about the distrust of media, right? It's about the distrust of how media has covered wrestling and these characters, David Schultz and Eddie Mansfield and everyone feeling like they were, they were gypped out of that and their right. careers destroyed by how they were portrayed in the media. So I understand their hesitancy, <laughs> you know, mm. but actually it, it was David Schultz that actually approached us indirectly that, that wanted to tell his story, but it was, you know, and, and he's an amazing dude like literally one of the coolest dudes we ever yeah. spent mm -hmm. time on the road but it was just it was it was very tough to navigate um with him uh you know over the course of producing the doc because of that fact so we had to be sensitive to that fact but and and and, it, and, and it's hard to tell people even as genuine as you want to be like no dude like we want to show you being as badass as possible we we we're, we're fans and we want to we want to put your story forward um but then again with you know eddie mansfield it was really tough uh, as well to get him on board. And it was just, yeah, that, that story just was really tough because of that fact, yeah. I would say. And we really wanted to have Mr. T involved in it and we just oh couldn't God. find him. Like we tried so hard reaching out to anyone we could and just, yeah, we just couldn't get a yeah, hold of him. We couldn't find him at all. No. We couldn't find Interesting. him. Interesting. No. Yeah. No, tried everything, publicists, agents. Uh, he works at some church in Chicago, I think. And, uh, Tried calling there, tried calling everyone. We're like, we need Mr. T, but just couldn't do it. You know, that's a great point. You think that Mr. T would be huge at those Comic Cons and, and celebrity autograph signings. Yeah, like, yeah. I would have him on Talk is Jericho in a second oh, if I could. That'd be so oh, cool. Because I think he, he went into the WWE Hall of Fame a few years ago, correct? Yeah, yeah, and his yeah. speech is incredible. All about his they, had, they, they literally had to pull him off the stage. <laughs> One of the better Hall of Fame speeches. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting that you couldn't find him. Um, yeah. When you're doing shows like this, obviously some people might get mad. Has there been some people that got angry uh, watching this that you didn't talk to, ones that you had on that they didn't appreciate the way that it was portrayed? 
that sort of thing? You know, as far as I can recollect right now, or as far as I know, there hasn't been hardly any. The mm-hmm. only person that I know of that 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 wasn't thrilled was 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 Bret Hart wasn't mm-hmm. uh, stoked on the Montreal Screwjob episode, and you know, like the reason that we wanted to do that episode is obviously you know we're we're trying to make a wrestling show that's that's for also people who who don't know anything about wrestling, right. you know, and 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 that story in the history of wrestling is important and it is a great also vehicle for non-wrestling fans to understand how the backstage politics work Mm -hmm. and how the inner workings of wrestling work. And that was kind of what I thought was cool about it. But yes, there are several other great documentaries about it, but yeah. But so with Brett, it was, you know, obviously we just, we, we wanted to portray him as sympathetic as possible in the episode but, uh, but yeah, he, from what I, re- I haven't actually had a chance to talk to him face to face or on the phone or anything about it, but, but, uh, yeah, he wasn't, uh, he didn't feel like it, it represented, uh, him in the, in the way he wanted to be. What didn't he like about it from what you heard? Honestly, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think there was like the inclusion of some of the guests that he didn't like. Like, I don't think he appreciated seeing Scott Hall's perspective on the Montreal script well, job in it, but we thought that's, he lends a voice to an audience that believes in that perspective. So we thought we needed yeah. to show that there are people who are on that side still right. to this day. Which is know? weird, yeah. And I remember like having lunch with Scott Hall once, like, you know, and and uh, just like talking to him about this the show we're trying to make. And we're like, yeah, like we're doing the Montreal screw job and he's like, total work. You know, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> What elaborate? And he's going into this whole thing about how it's a work, and I'm like, wow, like he knows these guys, right? And he knows Sean like so well, and everybody. How could he think that? And so I thought, well, isn't that fascinating? And so then that was, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to put him in there. And so I don't know, it was, it, it was, uh, it was a little surprising, and and uh, and I just felt bad, like because I obviously, you know, had the best intentions in, in mind with Brett's story, um, but that's the only time I can really think of. Yeah. Has there been anybody that you wanted to talk to that you couldn't, uh, besides Mr. T, like uh, other more more prominent members of, of the wrestling community that just would say, that would refuse? We did want to speak with Hulk Hogan. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. For which episode? We really wanted to, to talk to Hulk Hogan for the Macho Man episode, right. obviously, because their careers are so linked. Um, and, you know, obviously, we just we, we wanted to speak to him and, and, and would have loved to speak to him again in, in future seasons. Um, but... At the time, I, I think he was just looking for other opportunities in terms of what he wanted in terms of being in the documentary. I don't know. Or we just we also didn't have any street cred then either. Mm-hmm. We had zero street yeah. cred then. So I, I totally understand that. But yeah, he was one that we really wanted to have. And then, you know, we went to but 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 it, it actually worked out for us because then we we got Linda Balea, <laughs> you know, for the Randy episode, which provided a completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, having someone, you know, having to probably deal with, you know, these mega personalities on a daily basis. Yeah, and we really <laughs> wanted someone to speak for Liz, Liz and it was yeah. we couldn't get it, like we couldn't get anyone oh, from her family. That's right. That's to, another one too, to speak. Yeah. And so Linda was like, well she was friends with her and spent time with her during that time and so she was she turned out to be really great and and lending um like a perspective on Liz. Yeah. Yeah. Is it harder to do a story on, uh, for example, the Savage Elizabeth show where both of them have passed away? Is, is, does that make it more difficult or is it easier because they're not here? 
You know, it, it's it's actually something I've, I I was thinking about the other day. It kind of depends because I find for us the most challenging episodes to do are are the ones that tend to like have to be more biographical mm-hmm. when they have to span a long period of someone's career. Right. And, like trying to make those tough decisions of how are you going to shrink this into an hour of television when someone has, you know, had so many accolades or so many career highlights or whatever. That's really tough. I I think the 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 episodes that for us are I'm not going to say easier to make, but the ones that feel more natural are ones about like a specific moment in time, you know, mm-hmm. and where you can really focus on hyper focus on a moment of time. But I think it does, you know, like w- with episodes with you know any type of firsthand accounts are are always going to be the the preference, you know, that's always going to make things more interesting and more exciting. So, yeah, it just kind of depends. When you're talking about this next season coming up, another story that, that you know, to me that I've, I've heard lots of it and all sides of the coin is the Owen Hart tragedy. But you guys, mm-hmm. once again, have this huge coup in having Martha Hart talk about it. Uh, how were you able to get her? Because like you said, was it, I mean, now it's typical Hollywood. Like, well, would you like to do this show? Well, who else has done it? Well, nobody. Who else has done it? Well, this person, this person, this person. Well, I'll do it. Like, do you have much more street cred now yeah. after season one? And I'm sure after this Benoit story, you'll be able to pretty much walk in anybody's house and talk <laughs> to them now. Uh, how was it to get Martha involved in this story? Because she's really never publicly spoken about her thoughts on Owen, uh, at least on the record on camera, for sure. Yeah, so um, it was obviously a, an episode that that fans really wanted to see. So we wanted to try our best to, to deliver that, but we, we would absolutely never in a million years do this episode without her participation and, and her family's participation. There's just no way I could see doing it. It Like the episode was on our list, but it was just always like, if there's no Martha, we're just, we're not, let's, let's have a backup plan because if she's not involved, we're not doing it. Yeah. There was an asterisk by it for sure. So what happened is I just sent a cold email to uh, I think her assistant or something, I had gotten her contact information and I got this, uh, and, and, and then Martha just, uh, responded to me, like, you know, I would say within a few days and she put together a list of 10 questions that were extremely well thought out questions, like mm-hmm. asking us about our intention, who we were, where we came from, our background, what the show is, all that stuff, but just really thoughtful questions that, you know, required some serious, uh, attention to, you know, answer properly. So she's like, I'm going to go traveling for two weeks. Don't, don't rush this. Take your time and answer these questions. So I spent like two weeks or (laughs) Jason and I both did writing an essay. Like we, we wrote an essay, like this was like a school paper. Right. And in that process was really good for us because it really made us look in our hearts and like figure out like, you know, what is our intention? Because, you know, our, because, you know, we don't want to be like vultures with this story or anything. We really want to be sincere because, you know, I remember that day as a wrestling fan when that happened and all those emotions and everything and how much I, I cared about Owen as a, you know, um, as a wrestler and everything. And I wanted to tell this story and I wanted it to be from her perspective. So I, I spent the time to do that and I replied to her and, uh, she hit me back and she was like, let's meet. And so I flew out to meet her in Calgary, just me, right. uh, no cameras, nothing. And it was me, Martha, and her son, uh, Oge. And we just like had pizza for like four hours and we just talked. And uh, and they were amazing. Just super, super great, great people. And we and we had a really great time. 
And um, I just laid it all on the table. Like, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to tell a story. I want it to, you know, I, I want to be collaborative with you. I don't want to just, you know, take it from you and, you know, whatever. Like, I want to work with you guys to tell this story because um, this is your story. And, uh, and, and she was responsive to that. And so, you know, uh, shortly thereafter, we were just off to the races and we started filming with her and her son and, and uh, her daughter and some other members of their family and uh, others who were there that night when that, when that happened. It's amazing that you were able to talk to his son. I've never heard any perspective. I, I recently just found him on Instagram and he's, you know, he's a, a bodybuilder, a good looking kid. And it's like, shit, yeah. like the, the time goes by so fast yeah. and you realize that this guy didn't even know his son really, or his father really. Yeah. Oge is low key. One of the more amazing interviews that we did in, wow. the, in, the, in the season, he's just this, um, incredibly well-spoken, super intelligent, uh, guy who, uh, is studying to be a lawyer. I don't even know. He's like in his third or fourth round of college. I can't keep up with all the stuff that he does, but he's an incredibly smart dude and just, yeah, totally super emotionally a moving uh, interview. And his perspective is, is very interesting because he remembers it like it was yesterday. Really? You know, he was only seven or eight years old, Yeah. but his memories of, you know, um, basically finding out the news and, 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 and everything is really, 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 really heavy. And I think one of the more, see, here's the thing, like, I only knew this story, like of what the media told. I remember when it happened, but last year was the 20th anniversary. And last year, you know, people started to post new articles about it and there were new podcasts and people were talking about it again. Yeah, I did one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's the first time that you know, people were quoting from Martha Hart's book and, and, and I got a copy of it and I read it and I couldn't believe some aspects of the story that I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. And like one of the, one of the more startling aspects is I didn't know, I didn't know that, that like days or like a week or so after the tragedy, when Martha is launching her investigation at like what happened, she and her family flew out to Kemper arena and they actually, she had to retrace his steps wow. that night, which I did not know. Oh so goodness. she climbed the ladder and went up in the catwalk and one of the more interesting aspects of that story, too, that you'll see in our episode is that Oge tells a story that Martha actually took him up there on the catwalk, too, um, to see what had happened. And yeah, and that was really fascinating. Why, what was her mindset for that? Well, well yeah. that was, yeah, like I, I thought that we thought that was so fascinating. And Oge explained it really well in that it, I think it was really smart of Mar- Martha to do that because and, he, and Oge felt this, too, is that it kind of helped him. Like going through that process and seeing it for himself left less doubt for him, like through his grieving process, through his life. And I can, I can, I, I understand it now because for him, I imagine, like, if you grew up not fully knowing or right, not right. and seeing it, just getting the visual of it, you yeah. know, because you'd always have doubts about the horrifying visuals, imagining what your father like went through. Yeah. And so I think. For him to like retrace his dad's steps and to see it made it, I think it helped him throughout the years for his grieving process. Yeah. And, and he also talks about, obviously it, it like came in waves, you know, like when, cause he was so young when it happened. And then when through adolescence, like in his teenage years, you know, uh, it, it like, it, it like resurfaced, you know, so probably when the internet became to be more of a thing mm. and, and then he, you know, he's going through his rebellious stage in life and then, and having to kind of reprocess it all over again. So it, it is just like a, a perspective on this story that, you know, you just, 
you never, it's just, it's not really out there much. So for us, and that was just a heavy, heavy, another one of the more emotional, heavy experiences. Yeah. It's been interesting interviewing the sons of uh, these wrestlers in a lot of ways, you know, like when we met Jeff Goodish, Bruiser Brody son, right. yeah. and just seeing like how, like it is like that experience has affected his life and, and where he's at in his life and same with David Benoit yeah. and, and with Oge. And so yeah. I think that's a very valuable thing to see. It's, totally. It's uh, very yeah. interesting to hear their perspectives. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially for, from David Benoit's standpoint where, you know, he's talking about how his dad is his hero and it's so crazy. Of course, his dad is his hero, even in light of all these terrible things that happened that basically tainted david's life you know yeah he's he's the true example i mean obviously when you're talking about uh, bruiser's kid or, or oge Hart or any of these type of people yes their fathers are dino bravo's daughter who even though yeah. she doesn't speak english is, is really good in that from her emotions and facials this is a kid whose whose dad was a murderer yeah that he has to now grow up under the shadow of that yeah, you know, that's something that that to me really struck hard on the, on the Benoit episode. Yeah, absolutely, and that was why he's just like it, it's also again hard to imagine telling the story without David in a lot of yeah. ways because you know it, it, I think one of the like the one of the main things we found in doing the Benoit episode, you know, with with all parties involved is like most times the story is covered. In like you were saying at the top of this, like that it's been sensationalized and everything, and you nobody really does talk about the people that are still here that right. had to, that are victims as well that have to deal with this, and and none are truer than in that than David in a lot of ways, and and he 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 you know for him it's like I can't imagine being in in, the, in those shoes and having to deal with. You know, knowing your dad on, on on one level and then having to come to terms with this other aspect of it. You know, it's like I just said something that I think is in fact, I, I can't fathom that, you know. So um, but I will say the positive on it is, you know, in talking with David after uh, this experience of doing the interview and then after the episode, you know, after after him watching the episode, you know, is I think for him it does feel like a weight lifted off because I do feel like it's been something bottled up in him for a while. And I think to yeah. be able to, to uh, not just share it on his own, but to share it, you know, in, in sort of a, uh, like a trusting company, not, not with just us, but with all you guys, you know, and how it's kind of this unified um, front of everyone who've dealt with this for so long. And now we're all kind of coming together to, to talk about it. Yeah. And some real, you know, clarity on it too. Like, you know, I, I you know, I, for me, like I loved Chris as a, as a performer and as a friend, but I don't carry a torch for the guy at this point because of, of what he did. To me, that's it's unfathomable, unacceptable. But it was cool to be involved in that story with my friends who are also in it. You know, once again, yeah. it's a really well done, you know, documentary piece about this whole situation. So, kudos to you guys for, for putting it together that way. Oh, thank you, thank you. Quick note as well, the Fozzie Save the World Tour has been uh, rescheduled from April and May of 2020 to July and August, uh, a little bit in September. Uh, if you had tickets, hold on to them. Go check out the new gigs, the new dates at FozzieRock.com. You can use those tickets at the new uh, rescheduled dates. If you have other plans, you can get refunds from point of purchase. But hopefully we'll get a chance to rock with all of you on the Save the World Tour when the world is literally saved. As we start to wind down, obviously I would assume that this show in season one, was, I've never heard of Vice before. 
this seems like it'd be one of the 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 cornerstones of this of this channel at this point yeah yeah you think yeah (laughs) (laughs) Were, were they were they let me let me rephrase the question then were they excited for a season two did you have to convince them about it uh what was that all about yeah i think i yeah they they really wanted a season two season one was like really difficult to get them to just release the thing <laughs> and oh, yeah. trust us trust us and then they they it took a while and a lot of convincing and a lot of pleading and then they did and then they realized oh wow there's a big audience for this actually right. this is a fun little fact uh one one thing that I used in my argument, because there was a time where it was really hard for us to convince them to actually air season one, because we had basically sat with the series finished, and and we were just we like we we thought we did a pretty good job, and and we and we knew there was a large we just knew there was a large audience for it, like we we were convinced we knew it, and one of my big arguments in order to be like listen to me guys was the formation of AEW was actually what I used as my main argument because I was saying, guys, like there's a new player in town that's just got a major cable deal and that's going to, uh, you know, create, you know, so like so many more like, like wrestling is coming back on television and because, you know, wrestling's always had the stigma of like wrestling fans don't translate to advertising dollars on TV, you sure. know, because people think it's the lowest common denominator, which is not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the events AEW's put on has proved that, you know, completely is different now. It's a different generation. So we use that as a major thing of saying, like, here's now two major wrestling promotions on TV, and it's going to be a lot of back and forth, and there's going to be a big audience that wants to see that. And that was one of the main reasons. And then they were like, after that argument was made, they were like, okay, kid. You're on the week. You're basically on the air in two weeks. So we had two <laughs> weeks' notice. Wow, on the air, and so we had to up to our. Boats I mean, I, I I went through the same thing with with my cruise. It took me three years to get it up and running because people just did. They just don't know. It's like you guys don't understand. Wrestling is like Kiss fans or Star Wars fans. Yeah. It's like you might not realize they're there, but there there's a gigantic number of them, and they're super fanatical and super loyal if they feel the product is real and legit. And after yeah. you know three years of saying that, we finally got the first cruise, which was a success. But the second cruise just knocked it out of the park, and you know we'll continue to do this. But but it does take a while to convince the uninitiated just how how special totally. the wrestling fan base is. Yeah, and I was going to say about that too as well as like may- maybe for better, and you know, but like Hollywood definitely hasn't caught on to wrestling. No, no, in, you're right in in any in any way, and and we actually like. As much as I can be frustrated about season one not getting on, you know, Vice, the the thing is, is that they did allow us to make this show, and you know, any other time previous to that, you know, Jason and I always wanted to make, whether it was a scripted TV series about wrestling or a documentary series about wrestling, something about wrestling. And all the pitch meetings we've taken in Hollywood, everyone just didn't give a shit about wrestling, you know, like at all. It's like, what, really, huh? And it's still that way, you know, it really is. And so <clears throat> through all that. You know, Vice took that risk and, 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 you know, at, at the end of the day, took some convincing, but we were able to do that. So, you know, but yeah, wrestling is still, even though it attracts a, a more mainstream audience, it's still not considered mainstream by any stretch. If, when there's a season three, do you have some ideas for future oh, stories okay. you can talk about? Yeah, I, I've, I've started to put together my stock answer for that. And because uh, <laughs> I obviously just still trying to finish season two, but. The one episode that I wish we would have gotten to this season, but if there is in some universe a season three, 
I really want to do the WCW event in North Korea as an episode. Yeah, I mean, that's very interesting. I had Flair on my podcast on the cruise, actually, and he spoke about that. But there's a lot of... Yeah. If you do if you do that, you got to talk to Scott Norton. He's got a lot of crazy oh, stories about that. Did you? Yeah. I did, yeah. Scott, uh, uh, Scott Norton is in the... Uh, He's in the the uh, Road Warriors episode, yeah. And I just had to throw in a few uh, questions about North Korea, and and wow, yeah. What other uh, what other ideas is there? Oh man, I just I had I wrote some. Well, well okay, I almost want to turn it over to you and and ask you what you think we should do. <laughs> it, once again, it depends on 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 who's available. Like I think. Uh, I think there'd be amazing. I mean, Adrian Adonis is a story much yeah. like the Dino Bravo one. That's very we've talked about that known but not known. Kind of died in a car crash, but also mm-hmm. was you know his original character was as a badass biker, and then they turned him into kind of this yeah. over the top gay guy. And yeah. it seems like there was, if you could get the right principles yeah. there. Had I you, mean, had you ever heard of uh, Roddy Piper's ghost story about Adrian Adonis? Yes, and I think you might have. Yeah, told we talked. Me about oh, yeah, that. that's right. Yeah. We talked about it. We but I mean, a, a story about about Piper himself. But yeah. you know, who could you get to talk about it? But it, it depends who's available. Because I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, WWE, aka Vince, isn't happy that you exist. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where. I mean, a story on Vince would be insane. Well, I was just kind of the rise of the WWF, right? I was just going to say, like, the ultimate teaser trailer for season three would just be Vince sitting down in, like, an interview position. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, that's. We could get Vince. Yeah, yeah. He's obviously, yeah, the subject number one that we'd want to talk to. Um, And and I think there's such a story in just talking to him, you know, and, 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 like, even, even though he doesn't do a lot of interviews nowadays, like, when you see his interview in the Andre the Giant uh, documentary. Wow, it's what so an amazing good. interview. Like he's so good, you know? He's amazing, absolutely. Like, you know, he's kind of the the crown jewel for Talk is Jericho when Austin had him on. I mean, obviously Vince is also kind of guarded and from the conversations I've had with him when he's not guarded, the stories that he has, I mean, they're, oh, they're I ridiculous. Man. I mean, there's I there's, there's, there's so there, you know, there's, there's 50 years of the most kind of underground ones like what we're talking about in the Snook episode to just hilarious stories yeah, like you, yeah. you showed you know stand back being on there just his story about that whole session i mean it was 1988 <laughs> oh my god you know everybody's you know it was the 80s man yeah you, you tell me what happened at that session you know what i mean i know that's what i like i tell friends sometimes is like you forget like during that era like vince was like roughly around the same age i think as like hogan and like those guys and yeah. like the stories that we get like off the record <laughs> from some people like Linda oh, and whatnot God. are like, holy shit. Like if the real story ever gets told, like it's, we got, it's, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I would love if I, you know, open Aladdin's, uh, you know, <laughs> Aladdin's thing. I would love you get one wish. I mean, that would be one. Another one would be, I would love to just take Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Oh, yeah. Put them in a room for eight hours. Give them a couple drinks and just press play. Yeah. Uh, that'd be- uh, record and just see what what stories those guys must have. Oh, oh my God. That only they know about. No. Probably a lot. Yeah. Is probably similar to, to Hogan and Vince in a room oh, doing the same thing. Yeah. Hogan and Vince. Yeah, definitely. One of the, one of the, like one of my favorite Vince stories from the road um, is, uh, 
this story that's been out there a little bit, but it's the story where at one point he went out partying with the roster, I think in the early nineties and uh, you know, road warriors are there. Brett's there. Papa Shango's there. And they're all, they all go to the strip club and things get a little out of hand when Vince starts demanding that he take everyone's finishing move in the strip club. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard the yeah. story? Yeah. Can, can, can you continue to tell it? Yeah. And so, so I, I don't know exactly how it started. I think it was like, you know, Hogan signaling to the road warriors, like, you know, put, you know, put Vince up in the doomsday device. Basically putting, putting, putting one on, uh, I think animal's shoulders and yeah. then Hawk jumps off the table. To the, he line. jumps off the strip club stage and, 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 uh, and, Clotheslined him. and spo- spoiler, spoiler alert that we did shoot a reenactment of that scene, uh, which you'll see uh, <laughs> soon. <laughs> um, so that you'll, you'll, you'll be getting a link of that probably pretty soon. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, I think he was in the sharpshooter. Oh, he took the tombstone yeah. in the strip club, <laughs> you know, and I, and Godfather told us this story and I was dying. And I was like, did that give you like extra like respect for Vince? And he's like, hell yeah. For the of this whole company, this millionaire guy to be taking everyone's finish in a titty bar. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what Vince always said. I'll never ask you to do something that I wouldn't do myself, yeah. which is almost like, oh, my God. And <laughs> now you're really in trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> love that story. Last question for you guys. What's your favorite episode uh, out of the 16 that you've that you've made so far? Yeah, it's tough. I think um, the the Benoit story is very close to us, just because we probably spent the most time with it, and it just, you know, we we asked a lot of our subjects, and they they, they brought so much to it, and and wore their emotions like on their sleeves for us like, in such a way, and trusted us so much, and there's just like so so much emotions behind the scenes that went into creating that. Very so true. that I will just never forget the experience of making this and it will always be with me. Yeah. Um, but there are other episodes where really like the, the new Jack episodes, like just, a, it's, uh, you know, for me that like, I, I wasn't a fan of wrestling during that time period. And so I just, I learned so much from that era and uh the the herb abrams story of uh, the uf has been something i'd never heard of up until i think like this year (laughs) and i i do gotta say like some of the like the stories and the legends about this guy are so crazy that we had to shoot reenactments that like even i was like uncomfortable (laughs) shooting you know (laughs) it's it's just like oh I, i really have to ask actors to do this crazy thing that this guy <laughs> did like oh my god it like gave me so much anxiety just like yeah it was having to ask people to do some uncomfortable things but yeah <laughs> i'll just say that for the herb abrams episode um it was the only time that we had to have a closed set on multiple days on set <laughs> but uh yeah so herb isn't that, that episode isn't finished yet so i'm not sure where it ranks in my in my uh thing but yeah i have to echo what jason said that I think the Benoit episodes definitely for me are just some of the more, it's just the most memorable experience and, and, and doing that. And, uh, but you know, Brody holds, holds a special place in my heart cause it's the first. Um, but then again, also the last one, uh, which will be the Owen Hart episode, you know, that's still got, um, several weeks of work that needs to be done, oh, but yeah. even just seeing it in its, in its rawest form, it's shaping up to be something really really yeah. special i so, like even the other day watched like a rough cut and i even like i cried watching yeah. it um because 
Like Martha gave us so much amazing home footage. Oh yeah. Of Owen and his family. Yeah. And you really get a sense of the guy, like the person. And when you see how close he was with his family and just like how much his family meant Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. And how much his family loved him. That like oh it's just really heartbreaking. But yeah, it's like it's like Owen always had like a home video camera and and so and 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 getting access to that material for this uh, is just yeah, it's wild. You know which one? Uh, and like I said, I enjoyed pretty much all of them. But the one that I really liked that I really didn't know anything about, but I knew it existed, what was surprising was the Brawl for All. <laughs> I thought that was, you really told that story well. Awesome. You know, and it wasn't a, a dark side of the ring, like a tragedy. It was just a fun story. And of course, Cornette and Russo just hate each other so much. <laughs> but besides that, you know, just seeing and knowing how the business is, and you're talking about uh, Bart Gunn when he came back through the curtain, and, and you know, no one would talk to him, and he's like, "Oh, I got so much heat for yeah. for winning the damn thing and yeah. beating up Doctor Doctor Death Steve Williams." Like, that's the the other side of the wrestling business. Sometimes, even when you do good, you still get in trouble for doing too good in the wrong place at the wrong time. Exactly. You know? yeah. 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 No, that. Yeah, that's the, that, that that's really awesome that you said that because I yeah I, it's also um, up there for me too just because it it is such a bizarre story you know of this guy who low key underdog wins this this crazy tournament that is being put on in in the in this in the world of wrestling and then he right. proves himself and then and then they're like okay you win and now here's like a four hundred pound guy that's gonna like knock your head off your shoulders that's like your prize you know and it's it's exactly. it's tragic. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, it is. It is a wild story, and it becomes like just a war of like the philosophy behind wrestling, especially yeah. with Vin, Vince Russo and Jim Cornette. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And that's what sure, sure. taken, you know. Of course. Yeah. Well, it's great stuff, guys. I'm Thank really you. looking forward to seeing all the stuff, and it was a pleasure to to narrate it uh, with you oh, guys. Thanks and so much for doing it. We still have a few more episodes to do, yep. but like I said, they've all been great, and I'm uh, excited for everybody to get a chance to check them out. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, thanks man. so much. You've been man. amazing. Yeah. Work Thank you. It's been so awesome. Thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll see a, a season three, man. Yeah, you man. never know. Yep. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, boys. Talk Thank to you, you soon. Be safe. All right. All right you, you too, too, Chris. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>